Hello and welcome. On this week's episode of Tales to Admonish, new information comes out about Matt Reeves' The Batman movie showing it might be even darker than The Darkest Dark Knight. Mark Bernardin's got a new project coming out soon and we're eagerly awaiting it. Arthur will school me on some video game news because the last system I bought was a PlayStation 2, as sad as that is. Hollywood loses two icons in one week. There is further studio consolidation as there are fewer places for artists to sell their wares. John Boyega returns to his roots. And Sharon Stone is pissed off as always. This and more on this week's episode of... Tales to Atlantis! <laughs> I think that's the first time you've said that without me saying it first, which I like better. Yes, it's better. It's, cl- it's cleaner. It's cleaner. It works. It that's works. right. That's right. What's, what's up, baby? Works. What's up, baby? Hey, man, how you been? It's been a week oh, since man, I talked to you. I'll be good. Just kind of doing my voiceover stuff and teaching. This is like the last week I'm teaching this set of classes. I, I teach um, I teach classes on the online platform, teaching kids how to draw anime. So yeah, uh, I know same, I've seen same, those. Saying bye to a lot of my students. Whimper, whimper, Aww. sniff, sniff. <laughs> I guess you'll see a few of them back at least during the uh, next year, the next yeah, school season, uh, whenever them, that starts. I have a lot of turning school uh, students, so like uh, some of them sh- might be returning for this summer. But actually, actually, you know, I'm ap- actually happy that I'm not getting that many subscription subscriptions for this summer because you know everything's opening up now, and these kids could actually go to a live camp. You know, so you know, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm really happy about that for them. You know. Yeah, it is crazy with everything opening up recently. I'm uh, I'm super stoked about it. And, um, you know, I got my my vaccinations. Arthur, get on that, please, sir, because they're <laughs> opening everything up. And I want you to stay safe and uh, so we can continue to sit around and talk shit about uh, comic books and pop culture freaking nonsense because, uh, you know, you got to do the important stuff so we can do the stupid stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> So now you were telling me just before uh, we got to recording, um, for those who don't know, uh, uh, both uh, Arthur and I are big fans of Mark Bernardin's work and, you know, his podcast with uh, Kevin Smith is hilarious if you aren't listening to Batman Beyond. Yeah, let's let's let him know a little bit about Mark Bernardin. So Mark Bernardin used to work for The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, He was just a writer and got scoops and stuff, but he always wanted to be um, just like a writer, a screenwriter and stuff. And uh, he, he started... You know, he knew Kevin Smith because they're both from Jersey. And uh, <laughs> like they, they, he started working on uh, Kevin Smith's Batman on Batman podcast. And they, at first they just started reviewing movies. Uh, they, they were reviewing the Batman movies. Like they, had, like they would actually have like their own uh, commentary while the, <laughs> while the movie was going. And mm-hmm. it just was revealed like just how bright and intelligent and uh, creative Mark was. And, yeah. and it was really great because Kevin just gave Mark this platform to blossom and bloom all these years. And I, I really feel like with with him making this short and all the other stuff he's worked on, he's he's already worked on a lot of projects now. This, this Stephen yeah, King yeah. thing, uh, Star, Star, Star Trek show mm-hmm. as like like head writer and, and he's in all these writer rooms. And now he's about to strike out and direct on his own. I feel like he's about to take over, man. <laughs> Well, yeah, I loved his work on Castle Rock. Uh, that was excellent. And I think he, uh, rather I know, he's also on the new Masters of the Universe project, so it can only benefit from his involvement. Um, oh, heck yeah. So yeah, I think he's even crowdfunding some of the uh, money that it's going to take to get this project off the ground, I heard. 
Yes, yes, he uh, he released uh, the first uh, poster for it, which looks fantastic. Almost kind of looks like a Nolan esque uh, when you look at the uh, poster. Um, cool. It's called it's called Splinter, and he's crowdfunding right now, and I just can't wait to see what he does. I t- I've talked to him a, a few times, uh, and actually played Word with friends with him a few times. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, so I'm just really happy for him. Awesome. Well, that's good to hear. So if uh, people like this sort of stuff, go check out Mark Bernardin and his uh, his movie uh, Splinter and uh, help support it if that's the sort of thing that you have the means to do. Heck yeah. You know, I was looking at this morning was uh, some stills leaked from Matt Reeves, the Batman, which I know it's not part of the larger universe and we've set our piece on that, but it's it's looking really gritty. I mean, it, really, it looks, really you know, it, gritty. That, I mean, Matt Reeves is great. I mean, the movie looks great. I just hate that DC has like like 11 billion Batmans running around, you know? If this is one out of 11 billion, then give me 11 billion because this is cool. <laughs> one of the things that... <laughs> I know, I know, I know I want it all. But one of the things I really <laughs> like about this is that they are apparently modeling the Riddler after the real life Zodiac killer, which is dark as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just by um, Paul Dano's performance, like that's what's the, the biggest grabbing thing of that first trailer that they came out with. You know, yeah, this, this, yeah. despite the look, you know, we have a very svelte Batman this time around. I don't really care. I mean, most of the, most of the Batmans besides... Um, uh, uh, Christian Bale and, and Ben Affleck have all kind of been lean, skinny guys. So, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I don't really care about Robert Pattinson bulking up, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's so funny because they make him look like the cure version of Batman. Oh, man. But in that little like in that little <laughs> teaser trailer where you see he beats that thug to a pulp, I believe it. He looks like he could pull that off. He looks good. I like yeah. the stripped down uh, old school Batmobile. Yeah, I I don't mind it at all. Again, like I mean, you you speaking about uh, the like the further characterization of Riddler. I mean, it feels like that character is going to be the stand up, you know, because the Riddler oh, they yeah. haven't really they haven't really done the Riddler correctly yet. You well, know? the Riddler's always been put a goofy mask and a bowler on him, and I mean Jim Carrey did the character in. You know, uh, I can't think of the year that that movie came out, but um, ninety five, yeah, something like that, and it, yeah, it's over the top, and it's he's playing the part that was written for him, so you can't really blame him for how that movie turned out. There's a lot of blame for that. Every villain in that movie was playing the Joker, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Tommy, David, Tommy, Tommy Lee Jones was playing the Joker, and and Jim Carrey was playing the Joker. So, so I mean, and honestly, to be fair. They've been kind of all over the place with the Riddler in the comic books too. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, depending on who's writing the Riddler, like they, they've turned him into all sorts of different stuff. Like, so I I I'm I'm loving the direction that they're going on this. Me too. I think it, you know, he's really pulling from his horror roots and Cloverfield and stuff, and it looks I don't it looks like something I'm gonna enjoy. So I was I was stoked to see those stills. I think they look fucking insane. Uh, talking about riddles, like like the game that I'm playing on PS5 is just full of riddles. <laughs> it's called Retur- <laughs> it's called Returnal, and um, it's 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 a uh, it's a roguelike game. And roguelike games are basically um, this this kind of style of games that started with uh, Demon Souls uh, about ten years ago, where it's like these super hard games 
and um, they're very unforgiving and you don't really, you can't really have a save point usually and you like lose all your progress and they're just like really, really hardcore. And, and that, and it that just, sounds just awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it was, it was a natural progression for, you know, people that have been playing video games for 30 years. Like, cause there was a time where it just, everything just became so easy, you know, like characters would just heal out of nowhere, you know, and, <laughs> And like there were save points everywhere, so this, there was this... there was nothing easy about Battletoads. I'll have you know, <laughs> that game was fucking impossible. I defy anyone to tell me with a straight face they ever beat Battletoads for uh, okay. Nintendo. Never. Tommy has never. Tommy has some flashbulb <laughs> memory, and he's stuck firmly in '93. Uh, <laughs> well, like I said, uh, video games is one of the areas where my my geek bona fides uh, sort of don't hold up. So I love hearing about this stuff from you. Oh yeah, man. Uh, I, I I stay on it. I I mean, I have to admit that I've gotten um, I gotten I've grown a little weary of games. I only really come out when like it's a triple 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 A game, and mm-hmm. I I have been interested in a VR. Uh, what's happening with Oculus and stuff? So, um, yeah, like Oculus, they just came out with a new uh a new uh, uh addition to their upgrades with um. Because there's Oculus Two and then there's Oculus One, and they've they've okay. they've put a, a upgrade on Oculus One that allows mm-hmm. you to do app sharing, so you can share apps and stuff. And they're they're just really set, you know, being set to take over right now as far as like making it more available to everybody. And uh, yeah, they're doing really good as far as that. Neat. I'll tell you a funny thing. I've never in my life uh, worn VR goggles or glasses or whatever you happen to call them. This is, mm-hmm. I'm going to sound so old right now where I'm just like, like I've never even touched one, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I know very little about it. I know that there was some controversy because, um, Facebook or the company behind Facebook apparently produces a set of, uh, VR, uh, goggles or whatever glasses, whatever you might call them. And they require a Facebook subscription to use them. And I know I just saw yeah, here that's, and there. That's a, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. It's, it's really, it actually has turned a lot of people off, but yeah, I mean, yeah. but the people that do stay on, you know, it's it's really great VR. It's like mobile VR. It's not well, I've heard that that's anything. the controversy is that it's high quality equipment, but that yeah. one little snagging point gets under people's skin. Well, I mean, it's 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 more of like a story about like how probably how like Facebook is now approaching its like midlife crisis, you know. <laughs> You know, like, yeah, with the, they, they, have, they have to coming. do something like this to make sure they keep people on board. Because, you know, people have been, you know, deactivating their accounts. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. I'm frequently not. I, I don't post frequently on Facebook or anything. I'm mm-hmm. more of an Instagram guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, Which they still, own, too, so what does it matter? Yeah, <laughs> still Facebook. I mean... I mean, there's there's definitely things that is good for, you know, like if you're if you're in a business, it's free advertising for sure. And people, you know, people either take advantage of it or don't, you know, other other than that, you know, just like anything else, like kind of fads die down, you know, um, then with Facebook, you know, being used as a tool for other countries to. Uh, mm-hmm. like do do undo damage to us like it just you know really puts a bad for us in to do damage mouth. to ourselves oh yeah 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 god but oh, it's yeah. just it's interesting that you have facebook and then they are this sort of leader in vr technology which i see the the 
uh, applications together, but it just, it further speaks to like how things are becoming so conglomeratized, if I can make mm-hmm. up a word, where everything just gets, <laughs> the companies just get bigger and bigger and bigger and eat everything around them. To that end, Amazon um, is making a $9 billion bid for MGM Studios right now. And then additionally, we have a merger between Discovery Media and AT&T uh, Warner Media that would combine TLC, HGTV, Food Network with CNN, HBO, and Warner Brothers as one massive company. And that would take $43 billion from Discovery going to AT&T for like a 29% share. So it's so it's so funny how these telecom companies and social media companies are buying inter- all the entertainment industries. <laughs> like, well, it's, it's just, just the consolidation of everything. Yeah. So it's pretty intense to see that yeah. coming through um, for the Amazon uh, uh, deal. Basically, what it does is it gives them essentially James Bond, um, all of the, you know, Hobbit and Lord of the Rings franchises. um Rocky, RoboCop, stuff like that. And um, like it gives them way, way more content to distribute on their platform because they put a ton of money into producing their own content. And this Mm -hmm. just expands their library exponentially. Mm -hmm. But the question then becomes at what cost, you know, as you continually consolidate studios and continually consolidate production houses and production companies, it gives creative professionals fewer and fewer places to sell their wares, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the features unsure. <laughs> so I like that there's big budgets being put behind what would have been formerly small projects. Say what you will about something like Jupiter's legacy or any of the other comic book stuff that's coming out. Like, there's money behind this stuff. So if you like that kind of content, you're going to see big production value. But with the consolidation of all these companies, you just might see fewer instances of it. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. So I hope that um, I hope that those uh, I hope that all the millionaires and billionaires do really, really well on their mergers and acquisitions. We're all really <laughs> pulling for you. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, somebody who's who's not going big is John Boyega. And that might be, you know, either his choice or not, given some of his controversies that he's had with the larger studios. I mean, almost exactly to that point, he's picked a fight with. Marvel slash Disney, and that severely limits his options as far as projects that he can work on. But what did looks he do? Like he's, well, because he came out and publicly criticized the way that his character was managed by, oh, by Disney. Star Wars? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and he's um, right. I mean, he's completely like he's, right. He's been having he's been having pushback on that. No, no, no. But what I mean to say is, is that just like somebody like Ray Fisher, it's when you come out and publicly criticize the people who cut your paycheck, you have to expect fewer paychecks from them. I think you just do. And the the proof is in, I mean, we haven't seen since that whole outburst from him. We don't see him on any big budget projects, so to speak. We, I mean, his career trajectory starting with uh, attack the block and, you know, big budget franchises like, uh, um, Pacific Rim, you know, big budget franchises mm-hmm. like uh, Pacific Rim and then Star Wars, of course, like he has re- remarkably little scheduled for somebody who has done that much. And I think that that's partially because so many companies are wrapped up under the Disney umbrella. And if you bite the hand that feeds, don't expect uh, another hand. I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't I don't really like in his situation, Ray Fisher. 
because uh, Ray Fisher wasn't that well known, and he 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 definitely it's like all it's all Ray Fisher had was to to rail against Warner Brothers. Um, but John Boyega, I mean, he still has things like like that's coming out. Like he has a Attack of the Block two coming out. Oh, exactly. Well, that was um, what I was going to talk about uh, today for sure. But Attack the Block two seems a little bit more like a return to his roots than it is the ever increasing sort of project load. I don't mean to say that he got it as bad as Ray Fisher, that their situations are identical, just that both of them have now publicly criticized the production companies they formerly worked for was my only contention on that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I've, I've seen a lot more about John Boyega that like really leads me to to know that like, there's a lot of things that are more important to him. Cause like when, when black lives matter was coming out, like he went out and gave this speech and he said, I'm probably not going to make another movie again because of this, but this is more important. And what you had was J.J. Abrams and a bunch of other directors saying, no, we got your back. And that was that was after he had spoken out against uh, the Star Wars stuff. So I don't know. I, I think John is good. Yeah, you think you he's know, OK? I, I think I think I think Ray Fisher is going to have issues because, you know, he he just keeps you, you can see that he just. I don't know. He, he doesn't really have the best tactics about going about this. It's like say your piece and then. And then go work on something. But all he's had for the past year is him him still trying to fight Warner Brothers. Yeah, it's true. To the point where he sounds like really petty when he he, he has his little j- jibes on on Twitter. Yeah. It's yeah. like Warner Brothers is making a black Superman. I mean, you can feel how you want. What about that? I definitely have my feelings about it. But like to, to see him say, oh, now you guys want a black Superman? Uh, uh, uh. Like Ray Fisher, can you calm down, please? Well, I, I think you're right. Ray Fisher would have been better served if he did it more like John Boyega, which is to be super direct and specific about your gripes, say yeah. your piece and be Cause, done. Because he still hasn't John elaborated was completely, much. completely right about what they did. That was unpre- unprecedented. With, well, it's not even unprecedented. It's, it's, it's actual the reality of, of Hollywood. Yeah, and how they they deal with like uh, black people because like it's such an alien concept to them. The idea of a, a lead black actor in a Star Wars movie is like an alien concept, you know. Like as ironic as that sound, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> black people in space. It, exactly. I mean, you saw the hubbub, and, you know, and then you and and you saw what eventually came down. Like yeah. I don't even want to talk about it now. It always makes me pissed off. I know. Like like what happened to John B what happened to Finn in that movie. Mm-hmm. If Finn if Finn was white, that never would have happened. <laughs> if he was white, this never would have happened. Oh yeah. If he was a white <laughs> character, that that never would have happened in that story. <laughs> Ever. That's fair. That's fair. And and yeah. unfortunately, um, just today we lost somebody who would have certainly agreed with you. Paul Mooney, dead at age seventy nine, uh, just found out this morning. I saw, I saw what I saw what they did with those movies, Tom. And I have to tell you, I saw what they did, and they stole everything from me. <laughs> Star Wars stole everything from me. Okay, <laughs> um, this is Paul Mooney, and I'm saying this before my death. I have to say, Star Wars stole everything from me. <laughs> <laughs> no, Paul, you sold everything you ever had. <laughs> I love Pryor, Paul Mooney. Richard Pryor owes Paul half Mooney. his career to you. <laughs> <laughs> He's a crazy nigga. <laughs> he was so good when he got reintroduced to a whole new generation through Chappelle's show. And oh heck yeah, man! I mean, 
Love Paul Mooney, uh, man. So he'll yeah. be missed. You know, Seven, he's, 70, 79 years old. He's the kind of voice that we could really use these times, you know, really get some yeah. fucking perspective on some things. And then also similarly this week, we also lost a uh, uh, great character actor, Charles Grodin at age 86. Love Charles Grodin, man. Yeah. Who else did we lose? Uh, he was 86. Oh, I thought you said somebody else. No, 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 no. Paul yeah. Mooney. Um, yeah, the last thing I saw Charles on was uh he was he played a doctor on the Louis C.K. show. Yeah. And I and I didn't even recognize him until he started speaking more because he was just like very older. And he has a very you know? distinct voice. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um I, the first time I saw him was in the Clifford movie <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. He did like those dog movies because he did that and he did another uh, uh there was another movie where he played opposite a dog. But that was Charles Grodin. He was a character actor. His his job was to pull faces and ham it up, but then also be his own straight man, which is a tough uh, it's a tough gig to pull off. But he he was good at it. Mm-hmm. So he'll be missed for sure. Yeah, man, Grodin and Moody, Mooney. Yeah. So you know, and the only other uh, news thing that I thought I would love to get your opinion on, I only read about it the other day, and I'm not even like for the for the show, whatever, but just to hear what you have to think about this. So. You know the movie Basic Instinct, right? Sharon Stone infamously or famously, whatever the case, is exposed uh, in that movie. And she further claims, she claims that she didn't know it was going to be done. And like all of the shit surrounding that one scene in that one movie is just gross on all sides. Um, They are releasing a 30th anniversary, what they call a director's triple X cut. Uh, wow. X, X. So they are going to show some of the extended uh, sex scenes and they are leaning into the, quote, sexual infamy of this this film. Now, I, I love Paul Verhoeven. You know, Robocop is a classic and, you know, Starship Troopers is a classic. Uh, but what what happened to Sharon Stone through the production of this movie and the way she was treated in regards to that shot? Like, I find her her description of those events completely credible and she's oh, yeah. pretty upset about this this now yeah, super early, high early death 90s. blu-ray release you know now everyone gets to see her vagina in you know 4k and she's not happy about it yeah and i mean why, why would she i mean well the contention sheesh. from borhoven is is that she should have known that if a director comes to you and tells you to take your underwear off before a shot, you got to know what's going to be in the shot. Yeah. And you were talking just last I mean, week um, about that sort of shit in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the tale of women in society for the centuries and centuries has just been a horror show, you know, and like what it what it takes to become a Sharon Stone. Like all the things like, I mean, the casting couch, like it, that, that visual and idea just looms over Hollywood mm-hmm. for, for the decades and decades of, you know, you could be so talented, but all your talent does, all your talent doesn't mean anything unless you lie on your back. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that extends itself to the screen, you know? So it's like, Oh, um, cause you're on the day. It's like the pressure couldn't be more real oh, yeah. when you're on the day on, on set. And it's like that that day alone and every hour is costing 
like 25 grand per hour. And then all of a sudden they say, okay, and you know, depending on what director you're working mm-hmm. with, you know, some of these directors are crazy. Like they want you yeah, to yeah. be a little off off kilter and 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 you know, because it just makes their movie look good. Right. But, and right. They, but they don't care about your mental health in the process. You know? So then 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 this situation is like, okay, so then this is the part where you show your vagina and whoa, whoa, whoa excuse me, what? <laughs> did I did I stutter? So in this part, you're gonna show your vagina. Um, we didn't talk about that. Are you gonna ruin this day? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, everybody here is waiting on you. This is what your character yeah. does. You're not doing this. Your character's doing it. And her argument was, yeah. she said that Beerhoven said to her that um, that her white panties were quote reflecting light and showing through her costume. So just remove them for so that we don't mess up the shot. But no one's gonna see anything. Beerhoven claims he never Sheesh. said that. Wow. Yeah. Look look at that. That's yep. that's crazy. Yeah, so that's pretty gross. I, I, I feel for her. I feel man. for her too. I feel for her. It, it just it's just weird that um whoever's distributing that would like allow this to happen. Because like how 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 important how important is it that we that that has to be all super HD and stuff? Like how important is it? it I mean, it's not like we could see it clearly back then. Right. You right. know? It it was more more about the action more than anything. Like, you know. So I don't, it was I don't more know. That's, that's infamous than it was scandalous. It's really interesting what they're doing now on sets because, like, now they they have um, uh, like a sexual scene coach now. Like that's that's mm-hmm. there. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. make sure everybody's that. fine. Yep, and um, they make sure that the, everything's choreographed and that everybody feels okay with what they're doing versus how they used to do stuff before. You know. It's like before you you had to be like professional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's it's to be expected. Nobody was watching have... over your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I I like the way things are going now, but like I mean that's that's is definitely indicative of the past, uh, like misogyny. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And yeah, Sharon Stone did mention that when she was asked about this 30th anniversary, blah, blah, blah. And she says, you know, yeah. I'm glad that there are protections in place now. And it's unfortunate yeah. that we didn't have those then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've you know, with Sharon Stone being the big star that she was like in the 90s, I remember back then hearing all these stories. I used to read the magazine premiere like crazy. Mm-hmm. So like, I remember these interviews of her talking about having to deal with guys that had real erections. Yeah, yeah. And guys that were actually really trying to have sex with her in the scene. Uh, no, it's funny that you should mention that because she mentioned in the article that while she won't name names, she has said that on numerous occasions, both directors and producers have asked her to sleep with her co-stars to improve the chemistry on screen. And she says she's never oh, yeah. done so, but that she was appalled at literally how many times this was requested and that this seems to be a normal line of thinking in Hollywood. Like, Oh, your two stars have poor chemistry. If you can get them to have sex together, that'll improve the end product. And it's, that's madness. Well, I mean, speaking of just, you know, being part of the industry and, and being like kind of avid, like historian on a lot of stuff, you're thinking about like, you know, foreign directors, you know, like other places where, you know, like sex, sexual taboos aren't anything, you know, you know, this is not to excuse what they do, but I I can see like 
why certain directors would just like be so nonplussed about stuff like this and then expect and then expect like total compliance with things like that. Right. You know, because because they're so um, obsessed with the reality of their movie, they're willing to do anything for it. Yeah. Like, for instance, like one time Spike Jones, one of my favorite directors, he didn't want any can of fear reactions from his child. Uh, um, for for the movie uh, where the wild things are, Max Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he during a during a pivotal scene, this dude like like implanted like a rocket under the ground. <laughs> what? <laughs> and during the moment where he's supposed to react, he launched that crap and sc- scared the bejesus out of this kid. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, "Yes, I got what I need." But it's like, but to what end, yeah, bro? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you that, know don't I, go full Kubrick. That's that's all. Oh man. I mean, but then if you go, if you go, if you go full Kubrick, you get like the most memorable movies ever. <laughs> God. Why why does why does art have to be awesome and terrible at the same time? <laughs> exactly. I remember, like, uh, this is one of my favorite stories about, um, uh, t- uh, like, like different, uh, like methods, uh, for for accomplishing the same thing. So, like, uh, this is Lawrence Olivier and 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 Dustin Hoffman on uh, Marathon Man, I believe it was called. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, you know, Dustin Hoffman was like super, super method actor at that time, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And Lawrence Lawrence Olivier was like you know he was like more of an old school or shakespearean actor yeah and and uh this movie kind of was that like these two actors of different acting generations being pitted up against each other so there was a scene where dustin had to like um he had to be like really worn out from like and and like just from running like all across town (laughs) so dustin actually like ran for like I don't know, like 30 minutes or something and stuff. And he came to the set just exhausted. And and Lawrence Olivier looked at him and was like, can't you act? Like <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone tell this he man about acting? Dust it off. <laughs> That's too good. Oh, man. Oh, see, we need a story like that to shake off, uh, you know, the ugliness of Hollywood sometimes. Yeah. Complete ugliness. But yeah, I think that's that's about all I got on the news. Um, unless you got any other news, we could talk about some of the stuff that uh, we've been watching this week. Oh yeah, let's get into all it. All right, so we'll start. You know, we'll we'll save the big one. Obviously, we're going to talk about the Nevers and the the season mid season finale, uh, wherever it falls in the series. Um, the the end for now. But uh, first thing I want to talk about was a recent release on Netflix called Yasuke which is the story of the first black samurai. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, Arthur's uh, familiar with the story, but uh, but you haven't seen the cartoon yet, right? Yeah, because I heard Lakeith Stanfield was uh, in it. So, yeah. So right now, um, the, the most... <laughs> <laughs> I tried to move on, but we can't. We can't yet. So, so yes, this this is a six episode anime that was produced by Netflix. Uh, it was released just in the last couple of weeks, I believe, the last week of April, and it 
stars Lakeith Stanfield as the titular Yasuke, who is the first mm-hmm. black samurai in uh, Japan, taking place the whole the whole story taking place right around like 1585 to give people some some context for it. Now, we have, of course, as we often do, differing opinions on uh, Lakeith Stanfield, but we both agree he is not good in this. I, I, I love Lakeith. I just don't think he has a lot of skill. And they they're putting they're putting him in the forefront when he doesn't have a lot of skill to be a leading man a lot of times, you know. And 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 they often do this with uh, some black people when they become the flavor of the month. Yeah, you know. And um, yeah, it's just you know it's it's like the emperor wears new clothes like in this situation. Well, I, I guess so. You know? To your point, because he's been in so many high i mean he is very in demand right now and so being in uh, demand yeah, he's because he's interesting he is he's interesting. interesting he looks good on he's uh, he's good looks good on camera but none of, none of that like is a, a substitution for like actual skill you know to, to what it takes to be different characters like he has the, he has he has the spacey thing down on atlanta and plus he's he's working with like Donald Glover. Yeah, he's probably amazing one of the best on people Atlanta. he could he could work with on that show. But then being put on these other shows, like I, I feel like he was good in small doses when it came to Get Out. Yeah. But sorry, sorry, sorry not to bother you. He was miscast. Yeah. Um, the the movie he did with Issa Rae, uh, the photograph, miscast. No chemistry. I like him in Death Note. I know that Death Note is fucking terrible i've seen the japanese version it's amazing the the comic book is amazing but like the americanized netflix death note is well willem dafoe is amazing but i i really like him but again he's playing quirky he's playing weird which he plays weird very well yeah that's fine it's he's it's not like he's not without talent my my thing and that's 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 fine that he's playing a side role i think is i think he'd be great for a lot of supporting roles like he needs to really build his way up to being a leading man because he hasn't been successful so far from what I've seen. Like from, you know, it, I mean, it's an odd thing, right? Cause he's, he's, he's definitely the lead character and, um, uh, and Judas in the, and the black Messiah, mm-hmm. but somehow he gets nominated for a supporting actor. <laughs> Isn't that strange? That goes back to what we were talking about last week for sure. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah. So, so it's it seems to be at least to me that he rises to the quality of the projects around him a lot, and um, unfortunately, sticking him in a booth with a microphone, I don't think is the best place for him. Exactly. So like I'm, I'm I'm speaking from my own experience as a, a voiceover actor. You're in a booth with a microphone <laughs> <laughs> right now, <laughs> literally right now, <laughs> live in full effect. It's Arthur <laughs> in his booth. Um. So the thing is, it, it a lot of a lot of like big actors and Hollywood actors uh, alike, they underestimate like what it means to be a voice actor. Yeah, you know, because uh, voice voice acting can uh, be be very difficult. Sure, because you have to go to a booth and imagine everything. Like you're in a place where it's not giving you visual reference or any so, any of those sort of things that like help you complete the role right you have to be so imaginative and 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 really work something that makes something something real come out of just your voice yeah so if you're already if you're already lacking i imagine that um you're not going to really 
do that well at voice acting. You, I imagine his performance was very flat. It is very flat. And to, to be honest, he's not really given much to work with. I mean, this when I saw this, I thought it had so much potential. I'll explain where the potential is. So here, here's the, I will give you first the actual story of Yasuke, which is fucking amazing and crazy. And then I will tell you what they actually made a cartoon of. And to think that these two things are the same is insane. So in brief, the story of Yasuke, they have recorded in 1579. He, has, he arrives uh, in Japan with Italian missionaries, essentially, that are trading with Japan prior to them closing their borders and committing to a, a, a concept of isolation. So in 1581, he makes his way from the trading docks to the actual capital, where he then uh, meets the daime Oda Nobunga. Nobunga travels with uh, uh, Yasuke, is totally infatuated with the fact that he's a black guy. Uh, there's a story they tell where he has him scrubbed clean, quote unquote, and when he realizes that really is his skin and not just a trick, he insists on making him part of his entourage. Now, all reference shows that he was not a slave, per se. Apparently, um, these Italian missionaries uh, weren't permitted to have slaves. He would have been more like just a paid uh, helper, so to speak. But by all rights, he was um, six foot two, extremely strong, and very well trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat. So he moves from uh, Alessandro Vigano's service over to now Oda Nobunga's service and becomes his master of arms. Um, and in June 1582 at the Battle of Temokazan, um, Oda Nobunga is betrayed by one of his generals who then forces him to commit ritual suicide and that functionally ends his campaign for a unified Japan. Yasuke escapes this coup and joins up with Nobunga's son, Oda Nobuda, and uh, continues the resistance against the, uh, the now traitor who is running uh, his father's army. They have a last stand battle where uh, Nobuda is killed and Yasuke is captured. And from this point, there are differing reports on what happens. But most people agree that um, he was since he was not Japanese, they did not deem him necessary to be killed, but was instead sold back to uh, some other Christian group of Christian missionaries back at the capital. And from there, the trail on his life goes completely cold. So here's a guy who likely started out as a slave, then gained his freedom, joined up with Italian missionaries, goes to Japan, learns Japanese, travels to the city, impresses the, the head of Japan so much that he joins his army and his entourage, fights with this man at his last stand, joins his son, fights with this man at his last stand, is captured, sold back into slavery. Like, holy shit what an amazing fucking story right <laughs> that's like every black person during that time yeah i mean <laughs> it, it's it's amazing and so then i'm going all right let's oh by the way another little note is that chadwick boseman was producing a film based upon his life when he died so that's another thing we lost yeah he was, yeah he was doing a live action oh version. it would have been amazing so i'm going yeah. all right i'm psyched to see this it just came out yasuke blah 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 um I watch it and uh, spoilers. I'm going to spoil Yasuke uh, for you so that you don't have to watch it. 
Um, they talk about some of the stuff that I just mentioned, but this takes place years after um, Asiche Mitsuhide has now taken over Japan. Um, he was the traitor that had betrayed uh, Nobunga and Nobotu. And um, he is uh, systematically, systematically hunting out resistance in the country. You're like, oh, that's an interesting story. Uh, he's also teamed up with a kind of uh, super-powered demon who then uh, builds an army of undead, super-powered demon soldiers and also um, is in search of a magic little girl named Saki who has telekinetic powers that can bring all of their reign to an end. What the fuck? <laughs> like I, I'm watching this, I'm totally into it, and then partway through the first episode, a goddamn robot shows up, like a mech robot yeah. and a Russian werebear are working as mercenaries to track down the you know Harry Potter special snowflake girl that will change the whole world. History's history's boring. Tommy. History is not boring. They have flashbacks <laughs> to these battles where you show him being betrayed, and you know, and 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 Yasuke being there at the last stand, at the last stand of Nobunga, and like none of that stuff is boring in the anime. But then we come back to the future, quote unquote, and now Yasuke is working as a river ferryman and accidentally gets wrapped up in this whole quest for the one magic girl and it's a lot of lasers and magic and monsters and weirdness when like then just make that story but like why does that character have to be Yasuke and why why did I watch this bullshit <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like it had so much goddamn potential and it just turned into everything else so I think that I think that he's not um I think Lakeith Stanfield is not helped by this in any sense. Mm -hmm. So um, that is my 50 cent review of Netflix Yasuke. If that sounds like something you're into and you want to see a 12 year old girl telekinetically rip monsters apart and it's bloody and it's gory. And I enjoy that aspect of it. It's, it's really, you know, it's, it's full anime. Yeah. It's, it's, it's standard fare for an anime. The story is insipid. And then in light of the actual history becomes insulting. So yeah, I, I didn't yeah, like it. I'm, it's, to me, uh, I mean, off the cuff, it just seems like the whoever made this um, uh, animation, and you know, you know, you, usually it's like Asian houses that that do these these things. They probably weren't interested in this black man's life, <laughs> so they just put whatever ideas, like whatever back pocket ideas they had, and loaded it into this movie to. To, you know, if, if this is, you know, going out to general audiences. Yeah, it was know? so generic. That's what it sounds boring. like to me. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. So Netflix, um, if you're listening, and I assume you are. Um, <laughs> Yasuke season two, a return to the past. Okay, <laughs> go and tell the actual goddamn story. Or I think there are a number of other. They they said that even following Chadwick Boseman's death, they are going to continue to develop that project. Although it's of course been admittedly delayed uh, for obvious reasons. But um, mm -hmm. I hope to God, I hope to God that they don't do this. Just tell the story. There's relatively little known, so you have plenty of room to fill in all the dots with crazy fights and bullshit, but, like, just tell the 
fucking story. Do not give me <laughs> telekinetic, super-powered little girl uh, that needs to be saved by the Black Samurai. You know, like, just stop. Yeah. Just stop. Yeah. Um. So that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> That's my transition right there. That sucked. I love but it. But you know what didn't suck? <laughs> Our final topic for the day, which is... The Nevers. <laughs> damn right it is. Now, I know this is just a mm. love fest for you, sir. Yeah, man. I got to say, I'm, I'm really so happy. I'm so happy to see quality stuff, man. <laughs> you know, like Mortal Kombat physically hurt me. <laughs> you know, and... <laughs> Jesus, that horse is dead. And Stop beating it. <laughs> Stop beating <laughs> Stop it. Stop beating it. <laughs> yeah man um it's just like great great dialogue like swift well thought out plotting you know there's a couple of things that i predicted yeah um and uh, and just to let you guys know this is the non-spoiler part of our talk yes uh but then there was like a genuine twist like I did not see coming. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. It's so deep. It's so deep that you're you're watching and you get that twist and you're like, is there a problem with the stream? Am I watching the same show? Like, is this even the same program? Like, that's how deep the twist. It makes you question everything. Makes you question everything. Um, it's brilliant. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, just so just to rattle off a couple of things that are non-spoilery. You know, uh, the Nevers is basically kind of like uh, a ye old Victorian sort of X Men style story mm -hmm. uh, that that circles cir circles around this uh, sort of orphanage style place that takes in a lot of women. Um, the way women are treated uh, is like it's a current theme that goes throughout this uh, story, and um, there's a bunch of nefarious forces that are out to destroy this new crop of uh, powered people. And it's, it's not just women, but it's, it tends to be a lot of women that are um, being affected by these mysterious gifts and powers and stuff. They call them, they call them the touched. And um, right now there's six episodes on uh, HBO and it's, it's telling a rousing story. Um, what, what do you have to say? Cause like we talked about the first, we talked about the pilot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we've we've now we've now both seen all six episodes. Like, what else can we say that's non-spoilery? Well, you know, I think that your summation of the property is is pretty darn good. I mean, what we're gonna do is we're gonna follow these super-powered individuals as they try to discover the purpose of these powers and um, try to fight against some of the different forces that are aligning against them. Um, non-spoilery, I think we can also reference just, um, obviously the main characters are the two women that run the orphanage and, um, their respective and they're fantastic and they're fantastic. <laughs> they're so Laura good. Donnelly and Anne Skelly, uh, absolutely carry this thing and totally not spoilery. Laura Donnelly will be one of your favorite actresses by the end of episode six. She mm. carries that episode so hard and she does so much yeah. work in that episode that you can't view her the same at the end of it as you do the beginning. Cause she's playing her character very straight uh, through the first five episodes. And we get a good sense of if not, you know, her total backstory, who she is and what she's doing. And, and Laura Donnelly 
plays this character beautifully. And then in in episode six, we start really exploring emotionally what this character is. And, you know, we're all different people when we when we address our emotions or when we start reaching into our motivations you know how we act and how we feel can often be different things and i think a lot of actors have trouble displaying that uh type of duality on screen but she just rocks the hell out of it and can we talk about like how she's christian ritter's twin <laughs> this is like the the, the, Brit- yes, the british yes. jessica she jones is absolutely <laughs> like european jessica jones we kicked on that last week and she is and she kicks so much ass in this i mean her ability because she's not a big woman she's a small lady but she, you you believe that she is doing the things that she's doing when she you know in in, in typical style for this sort of property goes around and just whoops some ass i believe it oh yeah um, I mean, so there's so much about this that that screams that this is a Joss Whedon yeah. show, you know, from the from the dialogue to it being largely a, a, a woman cast. Um, but then then but then there's the parts that like scream that this is a HBO. Series. Yes, yes. <laughs> it just feels like different. Uh, game of like HBO, like popular HBO series, mostly Game of oh, Thrones. Oh, well, there's a lot of casual you know? nudity, which, you know, is in yeah. the context. I think it's effective contextually. I don't think you just throw nudity on the screen to be titillating and stuff, but I think that something like Game of Thrones and something like Victorian London, yeah, I th- I it's, think, it's perfectly in place. Yeah, I think, th- I think they were really, really uh, reserved about like when they would try to do that type of stuff. It was very. It really served the the stories whenever it did happen. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. All right. So, um, what else can we say before we go into spoilers? Well, I mean, it's there's almost nothing because you know it, it, it's tough. If you haven't seen it, why why are you even listening? Why, <laughs> like, <laughs> go and watch it. The only other thing I will say is that um, it, you know we've sat here and gushed all over it a little bit. I want to be a little hypercritical. Um, it is really busy and it gets from point A to point B, um, on a couple of bumpy roads. And so I feel like, I feel like there's a a lot of villains, quite frankly. Um, and I think that once we get to spoilers, we're going to get into just some of the ways that this is maybe a little bit too big for the number of episodes or the amount of screen time that we've gotten because it it's going to get weird in a big bad way and so before we we talk about that you better be prepared if you thought it was big for the finale it's it's a lot to wrap up and i think that there are and i think sometimes dangling plot threads are good for you know like anticipation as far as what's coming next but i think that i think that this show could resolve just a few more of them um that that said, uh, we're gonna spoil the shit out of it now. I think, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, before we go on spoilers, I just I just wanted to I just wanted to push back a little bit because I just I I feel like as you know, seeing stuff that has a bunch of like stuff in it just as like extra fluff or extra fat, you know, depending how you look at it. I mean, this doesn't really feel like it. I feel like yeah, there is a lot of different characters, but. They're they're also varied in all varying shades of gray, that like no one really feels like a very you know particular like villain, 
you know, when it, when it comes down to everybody's actions and what they're doing, it just, everyone has like a different thing that they're aiming for. And, um, you know, which even goes to like one of the episodes where, you know, uh, so, some of the characters are actually going bat, for, going to bat for one of the earlier villains. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So I, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like it's pretty organic, especially for a time like that. I, I was making a point to my friend uh, yesterday that I think is really clever that, you know, taking this whole sort of X-Men uh, trope and putting it in Victoria, England is really clever because, you know, usually you have to deal with like, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, a, a country that has a pretty well-structured authority yeah. system. So where like you'd have like the cops and, and, you know, that and science scientists and stuff trying to put the kibosh on these type of people. But in this in this sort of setting, there's there's no real system set in place like that, so it's looked at more as like a play. Yeah, yeah. You know, and something that they have to have to deal with. Yeah, the the chaos of normal society is a little bit more normal. There are few organized structures designed to deal with this. No, I yeah. agree. I agree. And I don't think I don't mean to say that there's a lot of bad on it. If anything, I think there's not enough bad on it for the amount of story they're telling. I just want I just want a little bit mm. more time because, like you said, the, the villains uh, are gray. There are a lot of them and every one of them has varying motivations that we're coming to understand. I just uh, I just mm. I just feel like it's a bit much. That's all. That's just me. Well, it's spoiler time. Echo effect, echo effect, <laughs> You're echo damn effect. right it is. Oh, <laughs> uh, so do we, do we go Pulp Fiction and start at the end? Um, <laughs> or do you want to get up to there? You no. Get up to there. So here, tell me what you're thinking. Okay, so we already talked about the first uh, uh, episode, which was directed by Joss Whedon, and you can really feel that because of the, the type of kind of um, action scenes that were in there. But as we go on on the story... And we're, we're dealing with Amalia and we're dealing with um, uh, mm-hmm. Penance, who's like like my favorite character <laughs> of the show. <laughs> well, she's just so genuine. Penance, Penance is this, she's like this really cool inventor and she's she's kind of the um, the Willow, right? Yeah. The Willow yeah. character in but Buffy. Mixed with Q from James yeah, Bond. Yeah, she's kind of. Yeah, she's kind of like the Willow type of like, you know, if, if, if Joss Whedon has like his kind of stock characters, she completely fits that. And they're just she's the moral center of the group. Oh, yeah. She's just such a great duo. And she has some of the most like some of the so many funny lines, like the way she delivers some of these lines, because like she's a very smart character and she realizes the irony and some of the things that she's saying mm-hmm. as she says it. And she has some of the best delivery when doing some of those things that make them come out. So she organic. does wide eyed wonder. So, you know, well. she's fantastic in this. I think we'll see a lot more oh. of her in the future. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that being said, the the show balances uh like the all of the characters very well from their powers to the things that they think about to um putting the, all of the kind of like the several streams of plots together. Um, but I really have to give it up to like a lot of the the action scenes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like there's uh, skipping to like episode three, I think it was when. When uh, Amalia has to fight that dude on the water, I've never seen anything like yeah, that before. Yeah, there's a really that good crap was fight. amazing. That's a really good fight, and it's <laughs> fun. His powers still work even after he's dead, which I think because I thought he was dead. Yeah, and then we come to find out later on he's still alive and he was just knocked out. Yeah, he was knocked out. Basically, what we're talking about, guys, is that um, um, Amalia 
she's often targeted throughout the throughout the series and uh at some point she's attacked by this this dude who's uh whose power is like he could basically walk on water and but he's this really big burly dude so he just found the perfect place to commit his his assassination <laughs> on on uh Amalia uh so yeah that was uh such a cool scene because you know instantly she goes you know she's thrashed into the water and she she always has to think quick because this guy's walking on water of course he's going to be moving faster than her because she has to swim underwater and she has to do all this clever stuff to fight this dude who has so much leverage over her and it's just like it's such it's just really creative it's super original fighting yeah scene. if you have two people fighting on water you know one can walk on water and the other can't that's that makes for a really original fight scene oh yeah so i mean there's just stuff like that peppered out throughout the whole series but then there's also like the tiny little things you know um so there's there's this one moment where um where um uh, malady who who's fantastic in every scene oh yeah she's like a mixture of Harley Quinn, Joker, uh, type, uh, typhoid Mary. It's like just, just fantastic. All the lines that they give her, they give everybody so many great asides throughout this whole thing. It's like uh, you and your, you and your boys are playing chess. Well, actually, it's cheese. You see, we, we play cheese. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then what they do to her character at the end of the, at, in the final episode, you know, in the final two episodes, what, what we learn, you know? Yeah, I really need to rewatch it. Cause I'm that that threw me for a complete loop. It's like, how did she clean her teeth? <laughs> well, you know what was funny? That's true. So so yeah, spoilers again, always, you know, spoilers. But you know, when when she is finally captured and she's to be hanged, she swaps place with one of her sidekicks who resembles her because she's in makeup and disheveled and has a particular aesthetic through the whole show, that it's reasonable to believe that this other woman is her. And she is captured in Malady's place and is prepared to be hung. And Malady then dresses up and poses as a reporter to gain access to the police and gain access to information and gain access to the site where this is all going to go down. And But see, that, that reporter was there before, though. I, that's the thing. That's that's how hmm, they... Maybe. That, that, that's what solidified, like, this, like this, this yeah, yeah, twist. Yeah. Cause I had I I could not see this twist at at all, and it's just like I and I I guess she had makeup on her teeth the whole yeah, time. Yeah, she I might guess. have. I mean, the thing that was interesting was when we yeah. when when she when we really get a good look of her on screen as the character Effie Boyle reporter. Um, Rachel looked over at me. And she goes, "What's wrong with her face?" Like what? She goes, "She's somebody in makeup. That's a like that's an." awful wig why does she have such like she looks she legit if you pause and look at her she looks weird and so one of the things is she has yeah. a brow prosthetic and a and admittedly kind of an awful wig which is fitting with the character in the times is clearly a wig and when she tears all mm -hmm. that stuff off and reveals haha you know i'm you know has that that you know scooby-doo moment where like i'm really the bad guy you're looking for um, it's like, oh, that's why she looks so weird for the last like 20 minutes. That makes sense now. But the whole time we just thought that it was like a production mistake. Like, why does that lady look so damn weird? You can't put your finger on it. I mean, and that's, that's the thing. There's, there's so much like uh, asides and, and like, um, 
like world world intrigue that's aside from the plot that that that's something that can easily get mixed up in, in the details yeah. you know and, and they do that a lot in the in the series so there was this one moment that i really enjoyed uh because like they, they 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 pin down so much about like what it is to be a woman in this world mm -hmm. so there's a moment when she's with um uh uh, the 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 detective that that's played mm -hmm. by Ben Chaplin, um um Malate Malady um, uh, masquerading as the reporter, when when Ben turns around and she kind of is frightened, like has a really quick moment of being frightened mm -hmm. by fear. You know, um, fear of a man. Oh, I see. Yeah, and I, it and that moment, like that at that moment, I still was thinking of her being right, a right. And 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 what the reporter had been doing, because like again, she she's been throughout the series that reporter character, and and the stuff that she was actually reporting on, if she did report at all, mm -hmm. you know, um, I mean, I I really have yeah, to. Well, that's it, it. and it, it helps because you know I started it before Rachel did, and she was because she was initially not terribly interested, and then I I got through like three episodes, like no, you need to watch this, and just going back three episodes back. And rewatching opened up a ton more to me that I hadn't seen before. I can't imagine if I go back and rewatch it now after, you know, watching the whole first half of the season, it would open up even more, I'm sure. Yeah. Because, I mean, you you definitely see how lucid Milady actually yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And how, how smart she actually is. Yeah, that she can either play sane really well or plays crazy really well. It's one or the other. Well, yeah. So I mess. That's one of the things I'm wondering about the series. Um, uh, before we go into the big like episode six thing, um, I wanted to talk about uh, Hugo Swan, James Norton, and um, uh, the the bird fellow. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Augu yes. Augustus. Tom Riley. <laughs> like, uh, they were great. Um. I definitely got huge Game of Thrones vibes from him throughout the, his whole time yeah. in the show and could could never really see how he figured in on the plot. Like, do, do, do you do you have any words about that? Well, because I actually was glad to see them figure Hugo into the plot just a little bit more at the end because it felt like they forgot about him for a little bit. Like, I'll say I don't know if the show needs the entire subplot with the brothel and um, Hugo yeah. running a brothel and Augustus investing in the brothel. You know what? This is the exact same problem I'm going to give you. Like, we always bring this over and over again. Don't bring financial boardroom transactional nonsense into something where I want to see punchy punchy. <laughs> yeah, but it it did it did make good for it like, makes for some, some good you know, tension. Some good, but like, like you know, we we don't have enough time to hear about the forms that need to be filed for you to be incorporated. <laughs> I, we don't we don't need it. We don't need it. So I was glad to see that they did more with him later. Um, and I think his character existing to show us this whole other, other, other side of how, um, you know, the people with turns, uh, the touched, uh, have to adapt to society. Cause as much as society adapts to them, you know, he has this whole argument that don't they deserve to earn a living? Don't they deserve to do whatever the heck they want? They're people. And so to see him. Yeah. I mean, in, in that sense, that makes sense. Like for, for him to represent, um, especially kind of like a LGBT sort of. Oh yeah. Throughout this series. 
Um, that's a perfect venue for that, for somebody being kind of a liberal character. Um, yeah. And also seeing the, the struggles that Ben Chaplin's characters went through. Uh, as far as like, oh uh, yeah, like some some of his closeted closeted gay stuff, and basically being blackmailed for it, you know. Yeah, it's it, this show deals a lot with that. I could never. That's that's the thing that was always unclear to me because it's just like it seems like he just wanted him to come out though, not like he was really holding it against him. Well, it right? felt like he was holding it against him so that he could get information from the police. He was definitely, he says point blank, like that's our secret and that's how I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, do that. And, but I think that uh, Hugo would prefer that he come out. Like Hugo is out. Hugo makes no apologies for banging dudes and, and ladies. Like he's 100% at home with that knowledge. And he just wants that freedom mm-hmm. for everyone else. Now his wealth affords him, you know, a certain measure of insulation from what would have been the consequences of the time for that behavior. But he's, he is, he is a pure hedonist never apologize. Nothing is wrong. There's only one life to live. And the only thing that matters is enjoying it as much as possible. And he plays that character brilliantly. I wanted to bring this up when we were talking about the pilot, because Dennis O'Hare, the the guy that plays like the mad doctor. Oh yeah. yeah. Dennis O'Hare is such like an envy HBO MVP. (laughs) This dude kills it. Like in everything that he's in, man. He's so fantastic. Yeah, and he is legit creepy in this show too. Yeah, I love that HBO always they always bring back their like their freaking their dope stock um group of actors. You know. Also, um I saw the Lucy Best thing coming a mile. Did you away. really see that it was Lucy <laughs> Did you see that coming? coming? I I knew that they were Yeah. I knew that there was somehow getting information. I didn't see Lucy being a straight up traitor. That I didn't see. It was it was to me. It was either her or the giant girl. Oh, she's just a child, though. They wouldn't make her a traitor. But that's that. That's what would have made it like so unsuspected. So, but then, but but then you see a scene where it was it it could not have been her. So then then it, I completely cued in that it was uh, Lucy's character. Uh, it was Lucy, you know, and I and I was wanted up being proven right. So that that one I, I was able to see that one, but I did not see the switch around with uh Milady. No, I didn't see I didn't see the whole thing uh with Malady coming. I didn't see um I didn't see the Lucy thing coming when she confronts her in the, you know, they're going to go and they're going to they're going to damage uh some of Lord Masson's munitions uh dumps and cost him basically pay him back for some of the stuff he's been doing to them. Um and to have her turn on her right there and have them fight I like the way that it resolved where it was just kind of like, you know, I'm going to let you go. You're a traitor. And by all rights, I should kill you, but Mm -hmm. we've been through too much together. And she, she has to understand that just even the promise of a cure, which, which tells a lot because she says, Lord Masson promised us a cure. If I helped you, cause I haven't, you know, touched anybody in forever Mm -hmm. and et cetera. So, but what's interesting is later on, we have um, Lavinia Bidlow, who then, when she's looking at the big glowing blue orb that they find underground, goes, we were foolish to wish mm-hmm. for a cure. So I am pretty darn certain that Bidlow and Masson are secretly working together. I think that's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. And that 
what seems to be funny about this show is it seems like a lot of people are secretly working together without telling anyone else they're secretly working together. Mm. So like more of Mm -hmm. them are on the same side than any of them actually know while they all fight against each other. So that's pretty good. Can I get some more nimble Jack, please? (laughs) I I feel so cheap, so cheated because like, because, because of the way they rolled it out, it feels like it's a complete Uh season. And they, but they had just introduced all these characters within the last two to three episodes. It just feels like we're being robbed. But like you know, they still have a whole half other half of this season that he's. Oh yeah, he's great. He is such a great character. Can't can't wait for that. No, he's a lot of fun. Yeah. Did, Did you know? Like, so there's more. There's more fun attached to this character because the the care the actor playing Nibble Jack. Uh, his, his name is Vinny Heaven. <laughs> That's a heck of a name. Did he pick that or was he born with that? Vinny Heaven. <laughs> so and great. according to IMDb, this is the only thing he's ever done. Wild. Yeah. Uh, so then, then all the new side characters, like that that tiny Asian woman, who's yeah, like yeah, yeah. The Hulk. super strong, just busting everybody out. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, we get a whole wealth of these new characters because so you know from from the first episode, basically the story takes us through learning that um, the character of Mary, who was formerly the fiance of the detective, uh, Detective Mundy, has a power to. Uh, project a song that only the the touched can hear and it's in a strange language now that i picked right off the bat was that when she's singing that song in that weird language i looked over at rachel and was like that little girl understands exactly what the heck she's saying like i guarantee it i guarantee like she is she's she's uh she's chekhov's polyglot you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> she's introduced in the first scene of the first episode for no other reason than she's going to have to translate something later on that no one else can understand. And when I heard that oh, song man. and um, there's no language, there's no rhyme or reason to the words that are being spoken. I was like, oh, that little girl knows and there's going to be a whole scene where they get a bunch of people together who speak different languages to translate what that song is. We're going to find out what she's singing about in that song. Cause they make a point to ask what she's singing about. What is she saying? And they're like, hope, hope it's love. It's hope. It's nothing concrete. And then we find out that no, it's a message from that glowing blue orb directly to Amalia saying, I'm here for Mm -hmm. you. Come find me. You're not alone, essentially. And we -hmm. are left dumbstruck as an audience as to what the heck that could possibly mean. Oh, yeah. And then we jump forward three months into episode five. And... Suddenly now, all of the characters know a lot more than we know as the audience. And this was something kind of annoyed me a little bit, is that we get introduced to the biggest spoiler of spoilers, that that glowing blue ball is sentient and has a name and is called the Galanthi. And that the Galanthi is ultimately Mm -hmm. some kind of space alien. And that it's the one responsible mm-hmm. for distributing these powers, and that it knows Amalia personally somehow. 
and that Amalia knows it mm-hmm. personally mm-hmm. somehow. And I did get a little bit annoyed. I felt like like you can't just name a thing from between episodes. Like that that should have been done on mm-hmm. screen where we get to be part of that process. But whatever, I get it because after the big battle where, you know, um at the end of episode five, where the two different groups come together again, we're left with a lot of questions there too. So this this show's gonna leave you with questions. But uh, that was a heck of an interesting, like, just drop on you. And all of the other characters know about the Galanthi and are totally cool with it and are completely up to speed and talk about it like it's the most familiar thing in the world. And we're left there going, wait, what? Hold, what? Just to glean what we can off their (laughs) world building. Yeah. So that shit was wild. Yeah. um, I don't know. I mean, the brevity... It's not, it's not like they have a lot of time to no, do stuff. No, they don't. You know? They don't. So, you know, I, I thought that was odd that they all of a sudden knew this name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, I, did it, does it say three months later? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They talk about um, the amount of time they, that it's been three months while uh, Malady has been put on trial. She's been found guilty and she is to be hanged. So they the detective explains that, like, oh, you know, three months ago we found her. And put her on trial. <laughs> <laughs> That's not yeah, at all um, what he sounds like, but here we are. <laughs> I, I, I like that way better, Tommy. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> He's suddenly super cockney for some reason. But yeah, so they explain that it's been three months, and that's why everybody now has this deeper understanding of what's going on. Because she's leveled with them to a certain degree, because now they know that she knows something. There was one little moment that I loved with the the um the polyglot character mm-hmm. where um it, they gave her an opportunity for her to be understood one time and it, it was just like she just um when they were wondering about where uh, like what happened with this character she was able to just say the character's name and she's like oh oh she just said that <laughs> I really, I like I like I just like that little moment like, like she's that, gaining like that, some like small measure that, of control or something. Well, no, the thing is, like, the the one thing you don't have to translate is a name. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm I'm an idiot. So the fact that they gave her that line was just a really cute thing. That is cute. Because it's like, you you just expect her, usually she's just railing off and you don't understand what she's saying. But then, you know, um, the fact that you, because there's multiple people that's in that shot. So whenever she puts that name, when whenever she like kind of like says that that that, uh, that line, he's like, "Oh, it's it's her. We can understand her, right?" Because I mean, she's, she's saying a name. Give her that line, <laughs> damn it. Yeah. So so then we 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 then we jump. Um, what is it? Two hundred years in the future? Uh, se- no, I think it's. I mean, it's several hundred. I have no idea. I was looking to see if they gave a timeline. It's way in the damn future, hundreds yeah. of years potentially. And holy shit, episode six. Why don't you give us the lead in, Arthur? Okay, well, first of all, I just, first of all, I just, you don't, I actually had to pause and make sure I was watching the same <laughs> yes. show. <laughs> because, you know, which, what, you're, what you've been seeing this whole time is a bunch of Victorian stuff. So, but then you're greeted with this kind of futuristic kind of thing. And, and at first, you're when you're looking at the stuff, it's just like that's an odd like uh, weapon that they have now. And then you're like, wait, wait, this is the future. This is a wait, straight is up spaceship. Show? The first shot 
is a spaceship flying into frame and goddamn like like air air marines or paratroopers falling down into like a wasteland London or some kind of wasteland yeah. in England. It was amazing. Yeah, and then um I'm, I I I think I might have been looking down cuz like I don't think I remember seeing that shot. It's the very you know? first shot that opens um that opens the episode. I saw a small interview with um uh Jane uh Espin 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 and she's the writer for that episode and she said that from day 1 they wanted you to be in this Victorian world for five episodes and for the opening shot of episode 6 to be a literal like spaceship flying over I just, a dystopian I just really hellscape. appreciate this. like I appreciate what? the surprises I appreciate like just like the characters. It's so good to just see quality stuff, you know. And then, but then it, it's also saying chapter one. Yeah, <laughs> it has these has these lead lead-ins that are haven't been part of the the visual storytelling of the show. So it's it's really putting you off base. So you're meeting all these new characters, except for the 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 Indian girl looks exactly. She like really the other did, Indian. right? Is it the same actor? No, it is not. So I, that's what I thought. But she looks, she really looks exactly like the other one. And I thought they were, I thought that what they were doing was they, they were, because they were talking about people being born in pods. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was thinking that maybe she's a descendant of the, of the other. Maybe. Um, um, other act, actor. Yeah, I don't know. They I do not to appear to be up, the like, same actress. I'm looking on IMDb right now. They are not the same lady. Yeah, that tripped me out, man. <laughs> yeah, no, that was wild. Like, and then you you get to meet the uh well, first things first, it's the dialogue is very altered, which I think is is a good piece of world building because that is exactly what it would be. Slang would be different, terminology would would be different. Everything about the way that we speak changes so frequently that they're they're talking casually and colloquially with each other, but that we as the audience are meant to just sort of infer, which is easy enough through the conversation, what they mean as they're speaking. And um, and it's really jarring because we just went from, you know, Victorian 1899 vernacular to a. Uh, indecipherable pseudo futuristic vernacular. So I think that also lends to some of this whole like put you on your ear business. It feels a bit heavy handed at times. Oh yeah, but I'm not against it. I mean, yeah, it's 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 basically 15 minutes to tell this story, you know, and and you're you you get to live this world that these characters are talking about. Like they're talking about like uh, simulations. And uh, they're like they these groups of characters were scared by tomatoes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> They've never seen <laughs> what is that? It's the space garden trope. It's the space garden trope. Yeah. Like and it's been done in so many films. It's like, what is that? It's a garden. You've never heard of a garden. It's just to remind us the path we're on as a people. <laughs> oh yeah. Especially when they say, I'm from the south coast yeah, of Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Southern coast. Like that, like you could, you could have, you could have be more vindictive about what you think the history of the United States is going to be. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, for 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 Canada to have a whole uh, South so, yeah, Coast to be dropped right into that dystopian future. <laughs> yeah, is is just so jarring. And then and then, but what they do is is they subtly 
let us know very quickly that this this older, more war ragged uh, veteran is Amalia True because they have the same little like personality quick uh, ticks. So they have the same personality ticks, and they yeah, I mean, yeah, I I I assumed Amalia didn't age like aged very slowly, mm. you know, um, and um, it it couldn't be more different than that. It was amazing though the way that they both both these women play the same character and and it's believable. You immediately mm-hmm. get what's going on without oh, yeah. being hit in the face with it. Like you're hit with the face with it a little bit with the finger touching, you know, the little nervous habit of uh playing with her hands. And so but other than that, just the, mm-hmm. the nuance to the way that they play those characters makes it truly, truly believable. And so we follow um her, uh, she's called Stripe, which is apparently her rank in the military. Uh, we learn that in the future, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, names are sacred. So you don't tell anyone your name. Mm-hmm. You find out Stripe was married twice and neither of her husbands ever knew her true name. So this is an interesting, again, mm-hmm. a lot of world building going on for one episode. And it's fun. That's what I'm yeah. saying. I appreciate that stuff, man. It's just, it's just like next level storytelling sure. versus stuff that's just like, just completely hammered into you, you know. What a palate a palate cleanse after watching Mortal Kombat, bro. That's, that's all I gotta say. It's dead Arthur. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna beat that dead horse. <laughs> so, so basically, in this world, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with the Free Life Army. Oh, so what we've learned is is that yeah. the future is a burning hellscape like we all basically anticipate it becoming. So that happens just the way we we're planning mm-hmm. on it. And these aliens show up from another dimension. There are 20 of these Galanthi that come to work Earth and presumably begin the work of repairing the planet after we've completely fucked it. So, of course, there's a whole group of people that think that um, the Galanthi are not here to help. There is actually some other ulterior motive. They're here to take us over, steal our resources, whatever their argument is. And they are in the process of eliminating them and they're winning. So um, by this point, the Free Life Army has eliminated 19 of the original 20 Galanthi that have come to Earth. And they are converging with Stripe's forces with the Planetary Defense Coalition on the location of the one remaining Galanthi. And holy fuck, does that get dark? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, like, like Clive Barker dark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you find out that this alien has empathy and the Free Life Army knows it. So what they do is they murder its friends and dangle them below, above where they have it caged and held it's like jesus christ that shit is dark oh yeah man oh my god oh such a good show uh then going going into chapter chapter i mean i feel like you could spend a whole uh hour on just like that 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 15 minutes of the future (laughs) oh this is a giant sized episode by this point but yeah it it was beautiful how they they go into who actually molly was yeah, you know, yeah. and and it, like this, the show winds up getting even more and more robust after after because you you definitely want to do a rewatch. Yeah, to watch her, you know, af- yep. after you see the the sixth episode. It's so funny how this really feels like a final, like the season finale. I'm glad too because I was afraid it wasn't going to feel that way. 
I can't wait to see what the rest of the first season is going to be like. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's look, anybody who's listened, they, they, they've seen the final episode and they know that there just isn't even enough time in the world to talk about how crazy and awesome and amazing that episode is. And God, you're right, though. It does feel like a season finale. And when I heard that they were doing the mid-season finale thing, I'm I'm not a huge fan of that sort of thing. But well, here, yeah, you it know, works. Here, like, I it mean, works. we didn't... That's that's how he's been used to writing stuff for years. Like, you know, like... That's, that's true. He just came... He came from TV. Like, you know, so I think, I think that's a really good way of doing things because it's also kind of like a comic book thing. You know, there's a six episode arc in the comic book. Then there's the other six episode arc, uh, not episode, but six issue arc. Right, right. So you have that that twelve issues of comics. You know, and he re- he writes comics too. So like, I, f- I feel like that's definitely a great way to have like your mini uh, climax and then building up to the ultra climax. Because like, imagine what the other climax is going to be at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. Just just le- mean... leaves you being super excited. But going going back to Molly right quick, just Molly's look, sad little life yeah. and the choices that she made, and basically the fate of so many women of that time, yeah. you know. Um, so being able to show that and then see like the second lease on life that this character gets as she just she basically has Molly has her death and then she's reborn as Zephyr, you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And, and she uh, gives and that then, name and then at the you end see, of the episode. You like based off of what you just said when you're talking about how sacred names are, that makes it even so special that she tells Penance her name. Mm-hmm. You know? So beautiful. And uh and um then 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 you know when they when they were trying to do their um um their well thought out quote unquote uh plan to uh save Malady. Um, you know, when when they get back to see uh, Amalia and them, the, Amalia's crew looks all messed up. So, like, I, I knew they were, they were eventually going to show what they had to go through. So they show what they had to go through during that section. And um, we're, we're gifted with all of these visions once Amalia has the fight that leads her underground to see the, you know, the, the earlier version of yeah, the Yeah, yeah. So there was, a, there was that one line... Uh, that uh, in her fever dream, and and it seems like it was the. I don't. It, uh, there's there was several voices going because yes, at one point they, I know what you're gonna say. Point, I know what you're gonna say. At one point they were showing the polyglot girl all super dressed up mm-hmm. and speaking speaking English, but then there was the other line of saying, "You don't think you're the only one sent back now?" Where yes, you, yep, yep, exactly. And I think it was that uh, free life uh, general, the one who was the one dude left behind to guard the facility when the uh, when the planetary defense coalition gets there. And Mm -hmm. I think that because he was shot, he may have died at the exact moment the Galanthi left as well and hitched a ride. And I'm guessing, but I'm thinking he might be in um, uh, what's her name's uh, body. I think the. Lavinia Bidlow. I think it's possible he's in Lavinia Bidlow's body because she's been playing all sides of this so expertly that I think she knows more than she thinks she knows, you know, or more than we think she knows. But that's just a guess. Yeah, there's, it's probably there's also way off. there's well, yeah, I mean, that that makes sense because, 
you know, they've been playing her as kind of this side character for a long time. But then mm-hmm. she does have that moment with uh, her brother at that kind of like posh lunch luncheon area mm-hmm. where she kind of she's kind of freaking out on all the people there. You know? Yep. Yep. And then she also um, they make a point. She she has an error when she speaks to uh, Amalia where she says, uh, yes, and they're coming after all of us, um, all of you. And when she's talking mm-hmm. about the touched, which I thought was like, oh, she just let slip that she's touched. Yeah, um, so that might not be so much of a red herring. But maybe. I mean, who knows? Um, but she's definitely playing every single side of it. And so I think that she could be uh, looking for a cure, that we're going to end this. We're going to take this being apart and we're going to to use it to cure what it's done. Um, and also she wants that, you know, she wants the Galanthi destroyed and it's up to Dr. Haig to tell her like, we can't destroy it. I don't even know that we could. She goes, well, it's cracked. And he goes, no, no, no. Or she said, well, you cracked it. And he goes, no, no, it cracked. We didn't crack it. We cannot, we can't even hurt this thing. Well, all we can do is get it out of town. So she seems pretty amped up to destroy it. Mm-hmm. So I, I caught that line too. And it sounded like it was in her voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, make, it makes out. sense too because um, that that character is put in this woman who you know who's who's lame. Yep. You know, so you imagine like the frustrations, but but he's been given a place of power uh, as this, as this kind of debutante lady. Also, you know? Hugo mentions earlier in like one of the earlier episodes that she conducts herself more like a man. Mm-hmm. It's unusual to see a woman wield that degree of authority. Mm-hmm. So they do make allusions to her not being what she seems. And then I figured that was just the payoff when we see that she's secretly working with Dr. Haig. But it could be even more payoff waiting. You know what? It just, that fever dream might have just been that thing communicating with her through yeah. using imagery. So I thought, I, I kind of felt like it was about to show the future. Because they, they you again they they used mm-hmm. the polyglot girl, but but she was all dressed to the nines, talking to her, like in English. Um, this the show is just endlessly interesting. I so, mean, that's what it is. That's what I'm it a, is. I'm I'm I never really do this, but like I, I have to do a quick rewatch of this whole series. <laughs> Usually, I'm I gotta wait a while. I'm gonna join you. In. Yeah, yeah, I got I gotta do it. <laughs> well, that's that's my time. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, no kidding. We did. Trust me, this is this is gonna be a giant sized episode. Um, <laughs> it's is 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 this our uh, is is this our mid season season finale? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, we'll be back. We'll be back next week. We'll be back next week. Um, you know, uh, with with more stuff that we want to watch. And um, but before we come back uh, next week, Arthur, people are looking to find you. Where do they find you? You can find me at uh, ArthurRomeo.live. That's my website where you can see my, my voiceover stuff, my illustration stuff, and all the things that I'm working on. You can also catch me on Instagram. Uh, I have two Instagram accounts. I have my uh, Dreamboat82 account, and then I also have my uh, Draw Really Awesome Wow account, uh, which uh, which is basically tied to my YouTube channel where I teach, uh, have tutorials on all sorts of like little fun things that I like to draw with little character voices uh, commenting on things while I draw. It's, it's a fun time. <laughs> nice. 
And for me, if you want to find me, you can find me on Facebook at Thomas Olton, or you can find me on Instagram at Thomas.Olton. And if you would, you like the episode, go onto your podcast app and rate and review us. That really does help us out. And um, But only say nice things because we have feelings too. <laughs> nice things. <laughs> only nice things. <laughs> and if you're going to say nice things, Arthur, you're going to say nice things about the program. Tales to admonish. <laughs> I don't think you knew I was setting you up on that one. I just kind of threw it at you. <laughs> I tried to set up earlier, but it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> <laughs>